there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I'm super excited uh, for the guest today. In the pre-call, we were just getting geeky and we even like blocked out a little bit of extra time. But this is this is the type of guy who uh, he's a coach, he's a catalyst, he's an innovator, he's a storyteller. Uh, he's been in marketing for over 25 years, most of which was at a little company called IBM, where uh, if you look at his LinkedIn, I mean, he's held pretty much every marketing leadership position, it seems, uh, at IBM across both uh, Europe and the Americas. He's a sought-after speaker. He's really... Um, deep into some of the most cutting edge, like B2B uh, specific uh, techniques, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But he's currently vice president of corporate marketing at Calix, uh, which helps broadband service providers of all sizes to simplify, excite, and grow. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Scott yeah, Newman. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I'm really excited to speak with you. It's not. It's definitely not every guest where I'm like, dude, we got to schedule like 90 minutes for this thing. <laughs> um, so I'm jazz. So without further ado, you're clearly a badass. You've got a lot of wins under your belt. What is one of your best kept marketing secrets? Okay. So, you know, it's funny as you think about marketing in general, um, most marketers are thinking about the marketing engine, the, the levers they can pull, the people on their team. My secret is as you're being the arbiter and the caretaker of a brand, anyone and everyone can be a brand ambassador. So think way beyond marketing, right? Anyone who works for your company, whether it's someone at the reception desk at, at headquarters or one of your sales leaders or your head of supply chain, they are all an ambassador of your brand. Simply put, if you find yourself in a meeting, and, and I don't mean necessarily a business meeting, just a social meeting, you know, you're at a cocktail party in town. Invariably, someone's going to ask you what you do. Yeah. And when you say, I work for X, from that moment on, you are an extension of the brand of X, however you behave, right? Are you interesting? Are you funny? Are you intelligent? All of that's going to reflect on, oh, I didn't know anybody from that company, but now I'm getting a sense of what they're all about. So how do you take advantage in a way and leverage all every single person within your organization and help them become a more effective ambassador of your brand. Oh, by the way, it's free. These are resources that already work for you. All they need are the tools and the guidance. And in our case, you know, we leverage it uh, extensively across a set of social channels. And so it dramatically amplifies our story. And again, it's it's not paid. This is all earned. And it is, it, I think it's still too much of a best kept secret in most marketing circles. Yeah. And there's uh, the late, great Chet Holmes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, yeah. but he's a sales, mostly a sales and uh, business uh, coach kind of author. But he talks about turning every single role in, in the company into a revenue generating position. Right. And, and he provides examples of like, even a receptionist, you know, even the person at the front office, like there, there are things that they can do. So talk to us, how do we enable folks? Um, how do we enable the folks on our team to be better ambassadors? Is that? Yeah. So, so first is they need to understand your story and, and every brand has a story and, you know, some brands they've got to, they have some work to do to figure out why do we matter? You can go back to it, you know, a Simon Sinek, you know, what's your why? Yeah. Um, in, in our case, the nice thing is we've got a really compelling why. I mean, we wake up every day to basically help our customers bridge the digital divide all mm -hmm. over the world. Um, and so one community at a time, we are helping those small towns and main streets and school districts stay connected or get connected for the first time yeah. um, and bring that kind of vitality so those little towns can thrive, right? Yeah. So that's a good reason to get out of bed. Well, it's one thing for the marketing team to get. It. It's another thing to have your you know, CEO understand it. 
But it's another thing entirely to say, you know, your in-house legal department understands the story because they may go, why do I need to tell that story? It's not part of my day job. Yeah. Actually, it is. So yeah. that's that's one. Be really clear and crisp with what it is and make sure you're constantly reinforcing why this is important. Mm-hmm. Second, the next step is you're going to find, you know, if I, if, I, if I break up your organization into two buckets, I'm going to oversimplify it a little bit, but there's going to be some that are inherently extroverts and social, and they get excited about it. There are people that get recharged by social engagements. It almost feeds their battery. If you think of like an electric car, there are yeah. others that it actually drains their battery. It's kind of exhausting. So they'll yeah. do it you know, on, on their own, but they'll be selective. Start with the extroverts and mm. give them the tools to tell their story and put their own personal spin on it. The last thing you want is to write copy for a social post and 400 people in the company just share it with no comment. Well, yeah. That's boring. Right. So what you want to encourage is no, 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 here's some base, but why is it relevant to you and, and your, and your social network, right? Mm-hmm. So if you arm them with the tools and you go after the ones that are most likely to be the early adopters, that creates a little bit of a movement. Yeah. And the third piece that we do is every month we have a, we have a, an award. We have a couple of different awards um, in terms of encouraging people to get social. We have an internal social award for those that are contributing to the dialogue inside. We are a chatter shop for Salesforce. So if people are actively engaged and sharing ideas and we spot them because we can see their post, we celebrate them. If you are someone, whether it's internal or external, so we call that, the first one is called the chatter giant. Second one is what we call a culture giant. Yeah. If you're telling stories about what you love about the callous culture internally or externally on your social channels, telling stories about your work-life balance or you know some other things that are really exciting or an assignment you're working on at, at Calix that, that gets you really jazzed, yeah. share that story. Great. That's that's our culture giant. And then the last one is this LinkedIn, you know, kind of broader social giant. Are you helping to amplify the Calix story in your own way? And we're seeing some really interesting posts. In the early phase of this stage three, we specifically targeted people that we hadn't necessarily heard from, right? You're going to have the ones that are posting all the time and they're super active and they've created their own podcast series. Great. Encourage it. But if they're getting the award every month, you're not encouraging the ones that are just starting to dip their toes into the water. So we kind of have to weed through and go, oh, here's someone looks like this might be their first post. Let's celebrate them, right? And encourage them to keep doing more. So that's that's the three-step process that we've taken over the last five years at Calix. That's really cool. So you've got the uh, the chatter giant and the culture giant, giant, and then like the LinkedIn connector. Yeah, and and because we're B two B, that's our biggest channel. Um, You know, we have Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, but as a true B two B, if we're trying to reach potential customers um, and current customers, LinkedIn is still the platform. So that tends to be our most popular. Totally. So when did you guys start this? Was or was this in place when you got there? Or no, it wasn't. It wasn't. We 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 didn't even have anyone hired to have social strategy as their day job. Um, so it's something we implemented uh, you know, after I got here and started to put, you know, some framing around what we wanted corporate marketing to be and, and the responsibility. And we brought in a former colleague that I knew from my IBM days, and and she leads a strategy that teams now have doubled in size too. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> Their day job is every day they're thinking about you know two key things. How do we help amplify and, and create um, simplicity for all Calix employees to share their story? And then we also curate um, the content for them to take advantage of. And you know nine times out of 10, that content is customer success stories. So we're yeah. reaching out to our customers, working with their team to say, hey, we want to celebrate you you know, give us some of the information. If you have some photos that we could put out. So we curate all of that. So it's really easy for our employees to go, oh yes, I, I work with, you know, Aloe and and I know that customer and what a great story. And then they can take it further. Yeah. That's awesome. So what have you seen from it since you started? Like, how are you measuring it? So early on, uh, if I go back two years, LinkedIn had a tool called Elevate that mm-hmm. many B2B players would, would know. And it was a way to track and even do a leaderboard for people in your company of, you know, how are they doing? If you go even further back, there was a, a bit of a fad around, if you remember Clout, K-L-O-U-T, mm-hmm. where you could link your social channels to it and it would give you a score. 
Yeah. Uh, there are even parties I knew of in New York where you couldn't get in the door unless your cloud score was over a certain number. It was like you needed to be social, you know, kind of technorati to be able to even get in the door. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard much, you know, from cloud since then, but it was an interesting idea. Um, we track a bunch of metrics from, uh, we've now moved over to uh, Hootsuite uh, mm-hmm. and we use their platform, Amplify. And the nice okay. thing about Amplify is, um, you can link multiple channels and we give people the option um, where if I use myself as an example, when I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter um, or even YouTube, um, I'm wearing my Calyx hat uh, and I consider myself, all right, anything that I do and say is a reflection directly on the Calyx brand. Yeah. My Facebook profile, I know I sound now like a total boomer now, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I'm still on Facebook. Um uh, I use Facebook for, for personal. So I, I don't have references to work and I have different conversations completely. And mm-hmm. so if you're a Calix employee, it's, it's up to you. Do you want to plug in one, two, three, you know, into this, this platform? Yeah. Now what it allows you to do is it's very easy when you log in, we've curated and you can filter, well, what are you interested in based on Calix uh, content? Are you yeah. interested in customer stories? Are you interested in some of the more technological announcements and events that we're doing? Are you looking for thought leadership? So you can curate, well, what am I interested in? Then you can put your own spin on it and then you can schedule it. And the neat thing about scheduling is it will assess your network and their time zones. And it knows what's actually the optimal time for this post to actually go up. Mm-hmm. So you tend to be one of those morning people and you churn out a bunch of posts like four or five in a row uh, you know, at 7 a.m., that's not necessarily the best time for people to actually find it. Right. So leave it up to the tool to let it optimize when you actually can create that influence. Then the data starts to come in on the listening. So Brilliant. what are we seeing in terms of the open and the reach and the amplification? What's the sentiment analysis? The challenge if you're in the B2B space is it's a little less emotional. So yeah. you know, whenever you have one of those like speedometers, it's like, of it's neutral. There's no emotion in the response, but at least you're getting some, but you can get a little bit of positive and negative. Um, You know, when you're dealing in more B2C stuff, you'll get a lot of red, yellow, greens in terms of, you know, positive and negative. But the tools that we're we're tracking and our goal is we're looking for um, not so much, um, you know, have the Uber users dominate, but we're looking for breadth. And so we can see that we're just seeing more and more users on Amplify right off the bat, that's a success. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned something uh, quickly, but I think it's, I think it's a powerful strategy, like strategic move that you're doing is you're, you're celebrating your customers wins, right? Like a lot of brands are really me focused, right? You're making the customer, the hero of that story was one thing that you said that was brilliant, but then the curation, like a simple thing, like curating those stories and making them all available and making sure that everybody knows like where to go to find them and how to log in and things. It's a little thing, but it can get overlooked pretty quickly, but like providing that fuel and for that fuel to be in the form of like, you know, uh, customer win stories, right. I think is, is even more powerful. Cause if I'm say I'm your customer, you know, uh, X, Y, Z broadband, service provider if i see somebody posting something positively about me guess what i'm gonna comment on it i'm gonna share it i'm gonna you know further amplify that and they pick it up right right so so right off the bat for for the most part the calyx marketing team and the microphone that we have access to is bigger than our customers individually right these are much smaller organizations in rural america and north america that you know, they might have their entire marketing team might be one person. Yeah, that person may also also may also be responsible for customer support. So it's like half yeah. their job. So yeah. the more that we can you know curate and 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 develop that story for them, so they can amplify it themselves, they appreciate it. And outside of four release windows a year, where it's a little bit more about us, here's an update to our portfolio. But even those press releases that go out always come with a quote from a customer saying, I'm really excited about this new enhancement because this is what I'm going to go do with it. Outside of those four windows, all of our other stories, they're about customers because, you know, we have embraced a philosophy that what the market really cares about is not what we sell. The market cares about what we solve. And so how do you do that? You take yourself out of the hero role and you put the customer as the hero. 
what's Calix? We're the guide. And now yeah. I'm paraphrasing my friend uh, Don Miller at StoryBrand, who's we've, we've engaged with his company to actually help us get really, really good with rigor and a framework and a script on how do you tell a really effective story? By the way, if you take a step back and you think of almost every movie you've ever seen, they all follow the same story arc, right? There's a hero. They've got a challenge, right? And it could be anything, right? You know, they broke up with their girlfriend or, you know, you're Luke Skywalker and, you know, you're worried about the empire or whatever. And then along comes a guide. Sometimes it's multiple guides, but, you know, usually it's manifested in one like Obi-Wan. Yeah. And like, I've seen this movie before. I know how to coach you. And then it's cue the montage, right? And then it's, you know, yeah. you show how they've been working their way up and then they know what the, 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 uh, the risk of failure is, but ultimately they succeed. That's a really interesting story. And why? Because through millennia, that's how humans have told stories. We are pre-wired to follow that narrative. So if yeah. you mix the narrative up and you turn it upside down, you're actually making someone work harder and they're using more, you know, kind of mental calories to follow yeah. along. Don't make it hard for them. Make it really easy for them to understand your story. But the quicker they can see themselves in it as, oh, I'm the hero and you're going to help me. My next question is, are you credible as a guide? That's your next step. Yes, we are credible. Here's some proof on why we're credible. Okay. Then do you have a plan for me? Yeah, we have a three-step plan. Now we start, you know, now we start our journey. That takes the risk out of it and it makes them feel confident that they've actually got a great guide. So yeah, that's at the core of everything we're trying to do from a, a marketing and storytelling perspective. Yeah. Who are some B2B brands that you think do like an amazing job at storytelling? Oh gosh. Um B2B. Let me think about this. It's tough, right? There's not yeah. a lot of it, 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 you know, it's funny how you'd think there'd be a bunch that jump out that are really, really good about putting, like, let me give you an example. Um, think of any car manufacturer and think of any commercial you've ever seen about a car. And then can you think of any of those commercials that were not about the car, but it was actually about the consumer? And what they do. Now I'm seeing a little bit of it. I'm seeing more like, uh, I'll use like Subaru as an example. I think they're yeah. doing a better job of what do you do because this car enables you. Remember GM, yeah. you know, famously said when they were really kind of turning themselves around, we're actually not in the car business, right? Yeah. We are in the mobile experience business, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that would that was a very different way to think about it, right? Yeah. Like, so it's not just about the car. It's about you're trying to get from A to B and what is your experience going to be in that car and how do we do that? Yeah. And so I'm seeing more and more do it, but there's still so much. You go to almost any B2B website and the first thing you see is here's what we sell. Here are our products yeah. and services. It's like, yeah, it's, it's just a laundry list of things I can buy. But I yeah. don't have the context of, well, but how does that solve my problem? Speak to me in my language. So- We've taken the time at Calix, and it's, it's it's a journey, and we still got a you know ways to go, and we're actually in the process of you know doing another you know kind of full refresh of our Calix site. But leading with, are you a marketer? Are you a customer support leader? Are you a general manager? And that landing experience and journey that we're starting needs to speak their language and needs to resonate with what's keeping them up at night. And if it's not, then we're getting it wrong. But you know, yeah. and that's a challenge. Right. But that that's how we're trying to construct a journey. Yeah. So um let's let's reel it back in to okay. to your team as your brand ambassadors and give everybody a couple pieces of advice for basically like how to get started. I think a lot of people uh maybe have thought about this, but it's like it's it's a big endeavor, you know. I mean it it's dressed in overalls, it looks like work kind of right. a thing. Um, but how how can somebody move in that direction of really enabling and activating like the hidden brand ambassadors that they have? Yeah. So, so first you've got to agree, what is our story, right? And everybody's got to be on the same page. What you don't want to do is say, Hey, everybody be social, but nobody has any guidance. And then all of a sudden you've just got confusion in the market and noise. Yeah. You don't need that. So first get everybody not only aligned, but excited about it. Right. So, you know, it's what I refer to as the cocktail reception test. If someone asks me at a party that I've never met before, um, what do you do? I need what is my you know, 10 to 15 second answer. That's just yeah. right there, right? Yeah. That one gives them at least 
you know, a little bit of information about what I do, but it's something I'm actually excited to share. Everybody yeah. needs to understand what that is for your respective company. Why do you mm-hmm. exist? Once you have that, then you want to start to encourage and give them some guideposts, right? Because obviously it's human nature. It can be wide open. Yeah. Generally speaking, our guidance for social is very simple. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass Calix. And don't embarrass our customers and prospects and partners, right? Mm-hmm. Really simple. It's kind of a golden rule of social, right? Yeah. It's not 12 pages of legalese and please sign here before you post anything because that's going to crush any type of activity because people are going to be just too afraid to do it. So yeah. common sense. Then we set up a whole slew of what we call, and we're a virtual work from anywhere culture. So we got people spread all over the place. So we have, in a sense, office hours on a regular basis for people to come and ask our experts, how do I use this? How do I get this set up? Can you show me a little bit how the tool works? What are some examples of some really good posts? And just little by little, just start to encourage them to get up and over. And then as most things, if anyone's a parent, you know, and you're trying to teach your kids something, you know, you give them little milestones and then, you know, you kind of reward them for progress that they're making. So we have that program that I talked about, which is, hey, you know, if you're if you're up and out and doing this, um, we're going to recognize you and and you know and and make sure that you keep doing it and you're seeing value out of it. Yeah. So when you equip them with the with the story, uh, what is what form does that take? Like, what does it look like? Is it a document where it's like, here's your ten to fifteen second description? Boom. Like, yeah, here's I your mean, like, here's your like one to two minute. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the, you know, here's the 25 word version. Here's the 50 word version. Here's the 75 version. So like every press release has that kind of boilerplate at the bottom, like about Calyx. Right. And you you mentioned at the beginning about, you know, we live basically to enable uh, any broadband service provider, no matter their size through our platform and, and, and services to simplify their business, excite their subscribers, and as a result, grow the value of their business and the communities they serve. Yeah, that's our story. And so we netted on that, and and we we pivoted actually about two years ago to this updated kind of mission statement. Yeah, and so and and the good news is we're consistent. So now that we have it, that's all we hammer home. And perfect example, um, every quarter. We have an all hands, the entire company will get together in a Zoom call and it's called the Calix quarterly. And we go through, you know, we right after earnings. So it's no longer, you know, kind of in the quiet period. Yeah. Earnings get announced the day before. This is literally last Thursday. And then we get on a call and we talk about, hey, how'd it go? Um, what were the finances of the company? You know, where, where are we headed? What are we looking for for next quarter? Oh, by the way, we go through, here's everybody who got promoted. Here, new people have joined the team since the last quarter. But the very first slide in the deck every single time is, remember, this is our mission and we all mm-hmm. need to get it. Because every Calix quarterly, the way we've been hiring, there's at least another 100 to 200 new people that have joined the company. Dang. in the last three months because that's wow. that's our rate and pace of hiring. So we have to always assume, if you do the math, I have to assume that every single day of the week, all year long is somebody's first day at Calix. Yeah. So that's true. This is an evergreen strategy. This is not a, hey, we held a learning table. We deployed the tool. We're done. Let's go off and do something else. Yeah. No, this is a, it's like, you know, you got a puppy. It's actually cheating, right? You got to take it out for a people. walk. You got to feed it, right? Or no, it's almost three people per working day or yeah. day there. Yeah. So it varies. And, and it's in different parts. I mean, we ebb and flow. A couple of years ago, we were, you know, really ramping up on sales. Now we're ramping in, in uh, product development. And so it varies, but collectively, yeah, we're we're hiring. That's awesome. So um, so it sounds like you guys are doing amazing. I want to talk about Calyx and just more broadly about your marketing program, like What's driving most of your actual deals? Uh, let's see. Well, help, here, uh, let me let me probe on that. In in terms of like, why are we different? Than no, just in terms of like where or? your leads coming from. Like, is it mostly from LinkedIn? Oh, mostly God, from okay. Ads, so you're thinking, or you're mostly marketing. from okay. Pearls. So it it really is a mix. So the, so we have a you know kind of a fully trackable um, marketing funnel, like the traditional marketing funnel, right? So mm. everything from our outbound. Um, and that could be a combination of, you know, our, our social push, direct mail, um, some paid. Um, we have a uh, an entire team that works within corporate marketing on event experience. 
Yeah. So whether that's our own events that we're doing in, in regions, you know, smaller versions versus our big flagship conference that we do uh, every October called Connections. Mm-hmm. And then all of the other industry trade shows and regional shows, like, you know, it's almost every single week of the year, there's one or two of these going on. So there is a lot of, ever since COVID, because yeah. obviously that changed things for a little while being virtual, but now we're back in the field and we're spending the time there. Um, so there's, all of those are generating touches that allow the scoring to go from, hey, that's actually a lead. Okay, now let's follow that up. And then, so we have a team that we hand off to so they can qualify it. And then that qualified lead then goes into the pipeline and then we start to track. So um, everything from inbound digitally, um, the click-through rates on on the outbound tactics, um, the web visits, the level of engagement on page. So what are they clicking on? How long are they spending on page? We're tracking that. And then Mm -hmm. we have a lead scoring mechanism or a marketing scoring mechanism. So uh, if there are enough touches, it'll tip the scale to say, this is just a nurture they're not quite there yet based on how, how many touches we've had to, oh, they've now actually gone over that threshold. Let's see if we can qualify that as a lead. Yeah. Now, um, I know a lot of, well, you've probably heard the term where like B2B, I think especially B2B SaaS companies sort of classify themselves like they're either product-led or they're event-led or community-led or sales-led, for instance. What do you consider you guys to be? I mean, it sounds like it's a blend, but like what? It is a blend. I mean, it's, it's, we are from a sales perspective, we have an in-house sales force. So this is not a massive partner channel. We have partners, but the partners are actually complementary to the portfolio, right? So yeah. they have additional services and capabilities that accent what our, our core portfolio is. But the nice thing about having an in-house sales team is it's it's much easier to get them all on the same page, you know, sales academy and understand exactly what that story is. How are we different? How do you learn and differentiate from competition, the loss reviews, all of that. It's just so much easier when they're actually your employees versus I'm trying to in, you know influence a VAR or something that is just a you know a degree away. Yeah. So it's a nice combination. And I have to say that, you know, for someone who spent 18 and a half years at IBM and I have a ton of respect and and still lots of friends at IBM. At Calix, the the partnership between marketing and sales is a lot tighter. Um, I think this the sales team here has a they have a a, a higher appreciation for what marketing can do mm-hmm. and are really excited to lean in on the programs you know that we're driving. Um, so they can they can feel the air cover that we're providing to help them sell. Yeah, and that's so. Great. I wouldn't pick it's sales led or marketing led. Um, I mean, obviously the big three pillars of any company is going to be your sales team, your marketing team, and your product development team. And if if one of those three is not firing on all cylinders, the other two really struggle. So you yeah. need all three to actually you know be really effective in market. Yeah. So how are you guys growing so fast? Like well, is it it's, it's a is mix that a of, recent of, phenomenon yeah, or there, is there, that there, there's two big fronts. Um and any B2B company could look at um, there's you got an existing customer base. So we're, you know, probably north of 1800 customers in various stages of, of being active. Yeah. Um, you could spend a lot of time just how do we cross sell and upsell? How do we develop a greater share of wallet? That is one growth opportunity. The other one is how do we acquire new customers? The nice thing for our industry is it's not a pure finite. Uh, list of customers that everybody's fighting for. Um, there's a mix of um, new customers we can acquire can fall into two groups. One is it's a competitive win back, right? They are an existing broadband provider. They're not one of ours. We have a better story. We get our foot in the door. We move the competition out. We become the incumbent. Yes, that's a hard sell, but that's a that's a big chunk of what we do. The other one is they're in this space because of the gaps all over rural America and North America, and even in other parts of the world, there are new players getting into the market every single month. So I could be a mayor of a town that has no decent broadband, right? The best we've got is like some satellite provider and it's not very, you know, reliable and, you know, it's not connecting the schools and so forth. Yeah. And nobody's coming to the rescue. Why? Because we're out in the middle of nowhere and the density of our town population of 2000 people is not turning, you know, any chief financial officer, you know, at AT&T going, Ooh, let's go connect that town. Right. 
the ROI is not there. So they go, you know what? We're going to need to do it ourselves because nobody's coming to the rescue. And there are a bunch of models they can do. They can actually create their own broadband company if they want to, or they can partner with one. A very popular partner would be their electric cooperative in town. Mm-hmm. So let's assume for a second, the town at least has electricity, right? Yeah. We're doing that for a hundred years. Going from an electric cooperative to a broadband provider is actually not that hard. They've already got the right of way. They've already got a billing relationship with all of those houses. So laying a fiber line on the same lines that they're providing electricity for is not hard to do. And we can help them make it really, really simple to turn that up and start providing amazing services. And so it, it's it's a mix of those three. We're, we're continuing to deepen our relationship and help truly transform the business model of our current customers. We're actively pursuing and acquiring new customers by competitive winbacks. And then what we would call Greenfield, there's a whole bunch that are entering the market on a regular basis. And we want to help them connect their communities that are currently really unconnected. That's awesome. Yeah. And the Greenfield opportunities particularly, I think, have like that really strong story element. It's like they you're do. bringing light. It's like you're, you know. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's, it's, we, we wrote a story a couple like you're of years bringing ago. bringing water to the village kind of. Yeah. Like we connected, I think one of the last schools in America that had no broadband. It was up, I believe in like North Dakota. And it yeah. was one of those like, th- th- that's like tugging at your heartstrings. Like, yes, they should have it. Yeah. I mean, there's this, there's a whole core set of beliefs that I think help our employees really understand. And, and they're along the lines of, um, you know, any broadband should be secure. She shouldn't worry about being hacked, right? Yeah. Got it. Two, um, kids shouldn't be exposed to inappropriate content. So content controls, parental controls. Yes, got it. Um, you know, three, kids shouldn't be cyberbullied, right? Yeah. And, and so if it's happening, parents should be aware of it so they can step in if they need to. Hey, we partner with a great partner called Bark and they help provide an application that, that solves that. Mm-hmm. Four, Investing in broadband to connect a community should be affordable, right? And, and it should be something that, that can be turned up by a, a pro- provider no matter their size, right? Mm-hmm. Five, kids shouldn't be forced, especially in the days of COVID, that if they need to complete their homework assignment, they don't have to drive back into town and park in the parking lot at McDonald's and draft off that Wi-Fi just to complete their homework assignment, right? Yeah. I mean, so these are things, you know, oh, by the way, six, um, if you're building a broadband network, you should have the environment in mind. Are you thinking about your power consumption? Are you thinking about a whole bunch of other elements that can help make your community greener? Because yeah. you know, it does draw a decent amount of power to provide broadband. So all of those things are, are core beliefs of what we're trying to solve. And yeah. every time we find a customer that is actually doing one of those things, we celebrate them. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense, man. In the pre-call we were talking a little bit about community. You guys are a real innovator, I think, uh, in the in the community space and community is hot right now. Like with all the B2B SaaSs, they're all talking about community. Uh, and you guys have a lot of that going on. Uh, I had asked you, I was like, are you familiar with customer advisory boards? Because I'm, I'm like connected with Gong and Chili Piper and, you know, these other... Um, kind of cutting edge orgs and they're all about these customer advisory boards. And you were like, yeah, we have eight of them. I think was your response. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. Like when did you start those and uh, how, how uh, powerful of a driver is it for you guys of new business? Yeah, we were, there were a few already in place when I joined about five years ago and we've expanded since. Mm -hmm. Um, the general categories, the ones that we started really were role specific. So we have our, what we call our leadership advisory board, which is about 35 to 40 general managers and CEOs. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very high level strategy discussion, really talking about their business and opportunities and where we can add value. That and those are customers? Board, like those are all GMs customers. of customers. Yes, okay. Exactly. Got Entirely it. customers. Um, and then, and, and that's hosted by our, our, uh, our, our, um, uh, CEO and president, Michael Vaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have other sub ones where we have just a group of marketers at our customers and talk about how we're helping them be better marketers. Then we have one for customer support leaders and what can we do better to help them? We have one for the operators, the broadband operators of the business. We also have a more technical one for the engineers. So yeah. those are the first five. And then we started to expand and turn it sideways and go, all right, well, 
The business challenges, if I'm a cable operator, are very different than I'm electric cooperative. We're very different if I'm part of a tribal community and I'm yeah. trying to connect that, that nation uh, with broadband and doesn't exist. Very different model. So now we're taking subsets of these and creating specific market segments. And yeah. so we're having, now that's, we're getting to, you know, our sixth or seventh or eighth or ninth. And the thing that, the, the, the two things that work really well, one, um, we are not, these are not used to go and, and educate them on what we're up to because they, they get that in a regular business from, from our sales guys. So we don't mm-hmm. use this as, as a pitch fest. This truly is a help us understand your business and what are your challenges and we've got a reputation since we've had these that we actually do listen. So the benefit is we can look back and trace a whole range of product innovations that came directly out of these advisory boards. Yeah. So someone, you know, says, hey, you know what I could really use is X. Have you guys thought about X? That's interesting. Hey, would anyone else in, you know, on this on this panel, would you guys benefit if we if we built X? Yes, we would like that. Okay, yeah. let's kick it around. And 12 months later, here you go. We got X. We we built it for you guys. And the nice thing is because they're a part of making that solution, you better believe they're the early adopters and they're right. right. But then we know that this thing has scale. So yeah. that's constantly making sure that we don't get too disjointed because the last thing you want, and I saw this in you know at parts of IBM and, and at other companies, you can get your R&D department a little bit disjointed and disconnected from the field and what the customers really want. And yeah. sometimes when you're on the cutting edge of innovation, if you're in the high tech space, one of the challenges, if you ask a customer, what do you want in three years? They're like, I, I don't know. A faster right? horse. So do you yeah. almost have to innovate for the sake of innovation? But right. if you do that too often and you get a little bit off to the right, now all of a sudden you're creating something and, and you've got to keep asking, but what is it solving? Why would they want to buy this? Well, I made it smaller. Well, why is smaller good? Do they ask for smaller? Maybe they don't care. If they're just putting the thing in a closet anyway, do they really matter? Why are we spending all of this time and cycle to make the darn thing smaller, right? Yeah. So so that's why customer advisory boards are just so incredibly valuable for any company. Yeah. So you think of it more so from a feedback and user voice perspective, more so than generating business. Yeah. Yeah. It is not. I mean, put it this way. If you're going to be on one of these advisory boards, you're in one of two buckets. You are an active bought-in user that understands our portfolio. And you know, you're you're lining up going, I I'm I'm bought in and I and I I really care about where you guys take your portfolio because I'm betting on it. Right. I'm I'm putting my jits on Calyx to actually help me transform my business. And then there may be a couple in there that are early adopters, but you can tell that they're going to be pretty active and they're going to provide an interesting perspective to the advisory board. So yeah. those are generally the, the the two kinds of customers that are on these things. What you don't want is a wallflower, right? You know, it's like if you're setting up any board of directors, like you know, you're not just putting them someone on the board to occupy a seat. You right. want them to actually have an opinion and share it. Yeah. Totally. So um, how do you go about recruiting people for these boards? It's actually easier than you think. Um, you know, one, as long as you you have a, a well thought out program and there's a cadence and the, the number one question that you'll get from someone you're inviting on an advisory board is, so what's in it for me? Is my time I'm going to invest in joining yours? And what we try to do is we try to physically get them together twice a year. Once as a given, they're all at our you know, our, our conference connections in the fall. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then we try to do one in the spring where we can physically get them together. For example, our marketing advisory board is gathering next week in Austin. We're piggybacking off an existing event that many of them were already going to, and we're tacking on a half a day and we're diving in with them. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in the other, in the off quarters, cause we do this, you know, once a quarter, we'll do a virtual. So it's not, you know, you don't have to get on a plane and so forth. You yeah. keep it tight. You keep it really focused and you make sure they're seeing, hey, um, Calix is actually listening. Like one of the comments that I heard from our last leadership advisory board for the GMs, and we were just talking about how can we improve and so forth. One of the comments was, look, I I sit on, I get invited to other advisory boards and I share my opinion. But Calix, when I share my opinion, you guys actually follow up on it. The other ones, it just kind of goes into the ether. It's like it, it landed in the meeting notes and then nothing ever took place. So yeah. if you're gonna, if you're thinking about setting up an advisory board, you better be prepared to take action on it. Otherwise, they're gonna stop showing up and saying nobody's listening. Yeah, true that. 
So um, what happens at those sessions? So you do a half day session, say with the, with the leadership advisory board, like what? Well, the agenda agenda? will be generally what we'll do is, is we'll give them, I'll use a leadership advisory board example. We'll give them a sense of kind of the longer term roadmap. Here are the things that are on our, you know, kind of our focus and, and, and let's make sure we're validating anything that we're missing. A lot of these were ideas that started from previous advisory boards that are now getting to a maturity. So we're giving them an update on that. Um, we're regularly featuring their peers. So we'll put one of them up in front of the room and say, hey, you're in the early adopter program of one of these new solutions that we've all created. How's it going? Tell us the story. What's working? Hearing from your peers is one of the most you know, effective ways to get somebody excited about it. I mean, it's one thing, obviously, Calix pitching it, you know, it comes a little bit of a caveat, but you get a customer up there talking about what, how they are transforming their community and the value they're getting out of it. And oh, by the way, it's, you know, full honesty. It's like, yeah. And by the way, we found this not quite working. I still haven't figured out this part. And then you start the discussion and then they're coming out of it going, I I've seen a proof of, of example, got it. And we raised some other interesting elements. And I feel like that was a really constructive conversation. We moved the, the ball forward. And I can't wait to what, you know, on the next advisory council, um, what's the next update from Calix? So that's generally the structure of the conversations. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you do, a, there is a little bit of selling, like when you have that want, well, you have the customer selling on your behalf. It's yeah, like, well, exactly. how do you like the Call new it a testimonial, whatever you want. Yes. But it's selling by the head fake, as you might say. Yeah, that's I mean, that's the way that we tell. That's the way we tell our 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 on uh, our press releases. You know, nine out of ten of these are all about a customer success story. You'll see one today uh, that'll hit the wire this afternoon uh, about um, uh, Mohawk, uh, which is um, uh, a tribal community, and they're now uh, embracing our platform. The whole story is about what they're doing and how they're delivering. Um, the kind of vitality to the community that they serve. When you get deeper into it, you'll see the detail on exactly what they're deploying from Calix, but that's the afterthought. It's all about them as the hero. The guy just gets worked into the details. That's selling by the head fig, but that's the story that people want to read. They don't want to hear Calix launched X and here's how to buy it. And oh, by the way, here's a quote from somebody from one of our customers. That's not very well. Right. Totally. You know, I met this guy, uh, Dan Chamela, who was probably the most brilliant uh, community uh, marketer that I've ever known or met. Uh, and he did it with a real like growth-oriented mentality. Uh, but he was the one that turned me on to uh, customer advisory boards. And he would joke, he would be like, dude, all you got to do, just get them all into a room, nice steakhouse, give them some wine, and just leave. And just let them, you know, just let them talk. And naturally, you know, if they're there on that advisory board, they probably have a positive perspective of Calix, right? Right. So naturally they're going to speak. Yeah. They were curated. You're not bringing in somebody that's working with a competitor and whatever. I mean, that, that would not be a good idea. The other benefit we have, and this is um, not um, typical of every, every industry, one of the challenges, so for example, one of my previous jobs at IBM is I was leading the go-to-market strategy for the insurance industry. Yeah. Really hard to do a legitimate customer advisory board with CEOs of all of the competing insurance agencies. Yeah. Like you get in a room, it's like everybody's keeping their cards close to the vest. There's not a lot right. of sharing, right? Right. The beauty of in, in what the space we're in with, with, uh, with broadband is I get Bob Hans at at, uh, at MEC, you know, in in Michigan, you know, talking to Dan Rodemaker at Cumberland in, in in Tennessee and Kentucky. Like, they're not competitors. They actually really want each other to succeed. They may have yeah. slightly different models, but the best practices of how they're engaging their community, how they're teaming with their town manager by they're bringing in new business investments into Main Street. Oh, by the way, that's an incremental ta- tax revenue for the town, which yeah. by the way is now revitalizing Main Street and, and fixing the sidewalks and repairing the potholes. All of that was a trickle-on effect of bringing great broadband to Casopolis, Michigan, right? Yeah. So sharing those stories with each other is very free flow, mainly because they don't compete with each other. Yeah. You know? I mean, we are, as we get more and more successful, yes, we will have customers that will start to bump into each other, but it's more the exception than the norm. 
Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, it sounds like you guys are doing an amazing job uh, from a marketing perspective and all the things that we talked about, by the way, like there's no ad dollars involved, you know, no. like there's no, so, not at all. Props this is to all you guys. just sharing stories and, and, and leading with a, you know, in a sense, you know, our, why, why do we exist? Yeah. And, um, the best way to get people excited about what you're doing is tell them about the heroes that you're creating. Yeah. That's your customer. True that. Well said, my friend. Well, um, what keeps you up at night? What are, what challenges are you guys having? <sighs> um, well, as I said, you know, we're growing and we're, we're, you know, three years on a trajectory of 25% growth, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, and we're hiring um, and it's trying to figure out the right pace and the right order for that next best skill. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, as we like to say, uh, it sounds a little cold, but it's like, you know, fire fast and hire slowly. Right. Yeah. But, you know, if people aren't thriving, there's, there's two reasons generally. Either they're just not cut out for you know the role that they're in and and the organization maybe they're not a culture fit or so forth, um, and and they've hit their ceiling and and with our growth and challenge we can't afford not to have a rock star in every position. Yeah. Or they're just they potentially could be a rock star they're just in the wrong role or they're just not getting the right coaching and and, and support from their manager. So make sure you're not mixing the two up right because yeah. there's potentially you have a diamond in the rough you just haven't given them the chance and set them up for success. Yeah. Um, but then you really got to take your time and get that right next best talent in the right spot. And you know, I've got so many opportunities but I only have so many hiring chits that I can use. So I, that's my debate. That's what keeps me up at night is what's the next best role that I need to hire for? And how do I find that talent? Um, the good news is there's talent out there. You know, we've all yeah. been reading the layoffs, you know, from all the, you know, the Googles and the IBMs and the Amazons and the Facebooks. So there's some really interesting talent out there. So that's the nice thing. Um, but yeah, it's trying to figure out, you know, of all the priorities that I can have, I got to rank order them and then, you know, fill those and bring in a new team member, you know, as appropriate. Yeah. So what are, what's, what's the top of that list? Like what are... The uh, well, actually, the, the 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 next role that we're in the process of hiring, um, we've never really formally staffed a meet and analyst relations leader, right? It's always been a little bit of a side job of a bunch of people, but having someone truly dedicated. So it's one thing to say, like back in the days, my IBM days, you could literally list, you know, Gartner, Forrester, IDC, you know, like you know, you pick your 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 big ones, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's all you really had to worry about. And your goal was, oh, we got to get on that magic quadrant, like that's your B two B Nirvana. Right. Yeah. Well, when you're in my space, those guys don't cover the tier three, the, the small regional guys, they'll cover the Verizons and the ATTs of the world, fine. But yeah. when you say, hey, do you cover Allo or Cumberland or MEC or OEC Fiber? They're like, who? So the ones that we have to go after are they're influencers, but they may not work for a former analyst shop mm -hmm. or they used to, but now they're on their own. Doesn't mean they're any less influential, but we got to find them. And then we got to yeah. nurture relationships with them. The other is on the press side, the industry press, they're not that many and they cover. That's pretty easy to get in telecompetitor and light reading and, you know, broadband world news and so forth. Yeah. The trick is how do you break beyond that? How do you start showing up in the Forbes and the fortune and the New York times and the journal and the Atlantic, right? Yeah. And profiling a bigger story, not, this isn't about Calix. This is about addressing the inequities of connectivity in rural America. That's yeah. a juicy story, right? Yeah. And we need to really, it's, it's not like, oh, we wrote it. I don't, gee, why are we not on the cover of the New York Times? Yeah. It's a little bit harder than that. And, and we're now going to put some resource behind it. Um, and, uh, you know, working with our partner at a PR agency is how do we really crack that nut and start to expand beyond it? The main reason for that is that's going to help us acquire talent. That's mm. going to help us break out of being the coolest little cloud and software company you've never heard of. Because- yeah. That's where I was five years ago. I yeah. never heard of Calix. And if it wasn't for someone already at Calix that gave me a call, said, I got to tell you a story about a company you've never heard of. Yeah. I never would have made my radar. Yeah. True that. So awareness is half the battle in a lot of cases. Yeah. yeah even as a B2B brand. I mean, our intent is never to be a B2C brand. Yeah. The subscribers that our customers serve do not need to know who Calix is. Yeah. That's our, our goal is to... OEM, everything that we sell, and it's all about rebranding it as, you know, Bob's fiber, right? Yeah. 
and it's Bob's name in front of the subscriber. It's it's you know the the managed service. All all the credit goes to the customer. We're we're behind the curtain, and so yeah. we need to be a consumer brand. So you're never going to see us do TV advertising. We're not going to be on the Masters, you know, or the Super Bowl. Like that's completely antithetical to you know how how our mission is aligned. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So talent, it sounds yep. like. Um, have you, do you guys uh, use recruiters or do you have a, the internal? Like we have in-house HR? and then depending on the business unit and how aggressive their hiring plans, we will work with some, some uh, contractors, yeah. um, but our, what we call talent and culture, uh, most people call HR. We have partners within that, that, that organization that are aligned to certain business units. And the yeah. nice thing is when you really develop a relationship with your in-house recruiter, they really start to understand the business, the culture, specifically marketing, the kind of skills we're looking for. So when they start feeding, you know, and looking at the pipeline that's coming in, they're screening better and better and better. So when we do that next round of interviews, we're hitting the mark more often than we were before. So there's yeah. value if you if you do that in-house staffing. Yeah, you know, I think there's um there's a play because you know the age old like uh I don't know if it's age old, but a lot of times the best candidates are very heavily employed, you know, like they have a job, they have a lot of recruiters chasing after them. Right. They're not likely to, uh, they're not, or the active candidates, the ones that are going to respond to your job listings are oftentimes not the best. The passive ones are the best. Like that's in recruiting language. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking for a while about like ways to attract uh, passive candidates and in our world where a lot of what we do is technical, like we hire like Facebook ad buyers and Google ad buyers, LinkedIn ad buyers. Um, so if you go up to a really good, say LinkedIn ad buyer and you're like, Hey, you want a job? Like want a job at an agency? Th you know, they're not likely to respond, No. but I'm trying to think of uh, some other ways to engage. And I can't help but to think of almost like a quiz type of experience, like put together a really challenging quiz and say like, look, 90% of LinkedIn ad buyers, like can't you know, pass this get quiz. seven. Yeah. Can't pass this quiz. <laughs> right. No, like, it's, it's, it's I funny. feel like a lot of them would engage. Yeah. Right. Gamified it. You know, it's funny. One of the, one of the lessons I heard, I think it was coming out of um, there's this great, course at Stanford, Designing Your Life. It's one of like, the, the most popular class, right? Um, and as I was kind of diving into that, I was hearing more about the number one way to create a club at Stanford to get people is to make it ridiculously exclusive. And then everybody comes flying, even if they don't necessarily have interest, but like, well, I, I have to be in that one because there's this yeah. uber competitive environment. So you know, you're, you're tapping on that. We haven't taken that approach. The one thing we have though is and we're not we're not where we want to be as our benchmark. I think today, and this is the stat I think I saw last week, thirty percent of our new hires in the last you know uh, three to six months have been social references. Mm. We'd like that to be sixty percent. Yeah, um, and that's really where we get the um, the ones that that's how we found me. Right? I mean, the reason I joined Cal, I wasn't looking for a job. Um, I got approached by someone I trusted who, you know, who's actually someone I used to work for uh, at IBM and they yeah. have since joined and said, Hey, let's talk. Um, that's, that's how we'd like to get most of our new hires, mainly because a, you've already done the vetting on the social fit, right? Are they going to be a good fit for the culture? Cause you're already being vouched for by somebody who knows them yeah. Two, that person is not going to recommend them for a role without putting their own internal reputation on the line. And right. so they've already decided, yes, and I'm willing to put my name against this candidate, right? Right. So you're already checking a bunch of boxes, but the main reason is you're generally finding someone who probably isn't already worth looking for a job. Why? Because they're great at what they do. Well, that's why we want them. Yeah. Right? Not to say that there aren't amazing, there is an amazing talent that sadly have been found themselves as babies in the bathwater that just got jettisoned from a big company, yeah. but those are hard to find unknown to you, right? right? So one of the other things that we've done, which is which is interesting, if, if somebody comes in with a social reference um, and then we get through the hiring process and then we give them, you know, okay, here's the offer. Um, then we do our, our last kind of spot on the background checks, right? And they'll offer, you know, here are the three references. We usually go at least one or two deeper and ask, 
well, okay, I got your three. Obviously, those three are curated. They're not, you know, you're not going to offer them to me if they're not super cheerleaders of you. I'm yeah. trying to go one layer deeper. And I may say, well, tell me about someone I could call at this company because I didn't see it on your list. But mm-hmm. generally, that's more of a formality because they were socially referenced. Yeah. If a candidate that came through the system and nobody at Calix knows them yet, we actually do those reference checks in advance before we get to the offer stage just to make sure. Because, you know, you really want to, you know, the, the, the biggest miss I've seen is not a skills issue. It's a culture alignment issue. Yeah. Um, you know, even though we're a 23-year-old company, we still behave like a startup. And if you're grabbing someone from a more steadfast corporate environment, they now be ready for the rate and pace that we're doing. And you really need to have someone that has a, um, you know, rush to fill a void, got your back, you know, I'll help you out. You know, how do we create value? Um, and have that kind of rate and pace and hunger. Um, yeah. And, you know, whether or not they've got the skill, if they lack that kind of mentality, they're not going to thrive here. True. No, I, I have experienced that the hard way more yeah. times than I'd like to admit. So have I. I've had a couple of misfires, you know, all good intentions. But, it, you know, when we look back, you know, three to six months in, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. This, this just, we didn't, we didn't get this one right. Yeah. Cool, Scott. Well, this has been so awesome, man. I want to give you a little bit of time back in your day because I know it's your quarterly uh, sprint yeah, no cycle worries. that you're doing here. Um, if you're digging this conversation as much as I am, if you've learned something, if you've laughed at all today, uh, share this with a friend. Drop a like or a comment uh, in the channel and we'll do our best to respond. Um, Scott, lightning round. You ready? Okay. Fire away. Here we go. If you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be? I don't think I'd make a lot of money at it, but you know, I, I love, I love the coaching element of what I do from a marketing perspective. You know, it's I've always thought of the um, the sign of a really good leader is not necessarily what their team accomplishes, but over time, how many from their team get promoted up and out into something else exciting, right? You got to yeah. let them go. It's just as a parent of three kids, it's like, you know. If you're not doing that, it's like that failure to launch. You, you know, yeah. you want them to get up and out and leave the nest. So I would likely do something, whether it's a life coaching or even sports coaching. I mean, I spent most of my formative early years when my kids were little, I was coaching cross-country skiing, lacrosse, soccer, flag football, like, you know, whatever I get my hands on. If I could be down on the green and running around with the kids, it just so exciting. Baseball, doesn't matter. Softball. Um, you know, you, you just see a kid start to, you know, gr- grow into the role, get excited about athletics. Yeah. You know, I'm all for that. That's awesome, man. I'm going to try that. I've got two little kids. Maybe I'll be a coach. It's really fun to do it until they get to a stage where then they start bringing in professional coaches and, you know, so you, you basically, right. you get, you get kind of kicked to the curb right around middle school, yeah, you know, maybe high school. Um, but yeah, you can at least, you know, stay, stay tagging along with them uh, on the sidelines, you know, for, for those first, you know, five or six years. Nice. Cool. Question number two, top three authors or books or influencers that have made a big impact on you. Well, one category, I'll mention three because they're all kind of circulating the same space. And this is more on the business side. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek, Adam Grant, and Daniel Pink. Okay. Um, I've had the luxury of being able to engage both live. We had Daniel Pink speak at our conference last year. He's coming back this year. Um, he actually is coming off sabbatical just to speak at our conference, uh, which wow. is a nice sign that you know he's really gotten to know our customers and and our business model. Yeah, uh, we hosted Simon Sinek uh, a couple months ago in a live webinar series for our general managers. We have a a uh, a series that we do every quarter. We bring in an industry leader. This is free of charge for them to come and engage them live. So yeah. we've had, you know, like other speakers, like Alan Mulally, who was the um, head of Ford and, and Boeing, give his mm-hmm. tips about turning businesses around. Or Fred Reichheld from, um, uh, let's see, he is the inventor of the Net Promoter Score, right? He mm-hmm. created the concept and the methodology. He's been doing it, obviously, for decades. Really, really smart guy. And it was all about educating our customers on how do you really measure what he would call love from yeah. your customers? How do you do that effectively, right? And so I'm looking forward. One of our next speakers is going to be Adam Grant this summer. He'll be our one of our leadership series, you know, virtual uh, live sessions with our GMs. All of them have amazing insights on how do you really get at what is your purpose in a sense, you know, kind of your why, and how do you turn that into action? So that's the business side. Um, two other authors that I thoroughly enjoy: Bill Bryson. 
partly because, um, and Moses, you will know him from a walk in the woods uh, and his mm. failed attempt, or I would say semi-successful attempt to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, he's a local author across the river from me uh, up here in Vermont. He's in, in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, but he's written a whole bunch of books on a range of topics from like, you know, everything you ever want to know about Shakespeare to the history of Australia. What I get from Bill is you can find humor in anything. And mm-hmm. I try to bring that to my role in marketing. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my team a lot and say, hey, as far as I know, no one's ever actually died of a marketing emergency, right? Yeah. So come on, guys, this is fun. That's why we got into marketing. Let's not take ourselves too seriously, right? Yeah. So always look for, you know, kind of the humor and the fun in everything that we're doing on a given basis. Nice. Um, That's a good way to think of it. And then the last one, I'm a big fan of Eric Larson, um, who's another you know interesting. Uh, he's a uh, a nonfiction writer. Um, one of my favorite books that he wrote was called Devil in the White City. Um, mm-hmm. It was literally about the World's Fair in Chicago uh, at the turn of the century. Um, and th- what Eric gives me is he is an incredibly thorough researcher, and there's mm-hmm. always another story behind the story behind the story behind the story, yeah. and. So I remember when we were, when I was at, at IBM, our, our CEO at the time, one of them, um, Ginny Rometty, she was a really big proponent of what the industry embraces as T skills. Mm-hmm. So this idea of that, the top of the T, you need to have enough understanding and, and uh, capabilities to ask the right questions across a whole range of things. Yeah. But then you need to go deep in some areas, not all areas, because it's physically not possible, right. but you've got to be really good at, at a few things, but then spread across, you know, kind of a, an inch deep and a mile wide on everything else. Yeah. And so, you know, Eric, you know, just keeps reminding me as, you, as he uncovers these amazing stories, just there's always another, you know, layer to that onion to peel back. And you just have to decide, are you going to be the one that peels that back? Cause that's your expertise area. Or are you going to rely on a teammate? And that's their go to and they're going to be your expert and and surrounding yourselves with different T skill people that's what makes a successful team having everybody yep. be deep on one and you're the smartest of the bunch that's not actually bringing a lot of interesting perspectives to having how you're going to solve problems yep yeah t-shaped marketers that's uh i i definitely am a believer in that um number 3 yeah. uh how do you prevent burnout and help your team uh, to prevent from burning out. Yeah, it's 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 funny. We were just uh, once a year we get the entire marketing team together physically, and so we were all in Nashville last week um, mm-hmm. for a couple of days, and oh, it was cool. really a, a workshop, kind of diving into, and it was team building exercises and some fun stuff and great dinners and so forth. Um, but one of the things we talked about is we're moving at such a fast pace is continuing to empower the team that whenever a request comes in, that's kind of from upstairs or from the side you need to ask three questions, right? And it's important. First one is help me understand what the, what, what is the ask, right? I need to understand like the the depth and level of detail that's required Mm -hmm. Two, when is this needed? And this is one of the really, you know, bigger challenges more often than not, when a request comes from senior leadership, the automatic default is this must be urgent. It doesn't mean it was urgent. They didn't intend it to be urgent. It just came with the package because it was signed by, you know, president and CEO. And you're like, well, if he sends me an email, he must need it in the next couple of hours. No, nothing wrong with saying, hey, when do you need this by? That gives me context. And then the third is if it's a really big ask and you need it right away, be able to go to your manager and say, okay, I've got to move some things out because I can't fit this in the other things you've asked me to do. Can you help me prioritize? And are we okay to either not do this? Because then you can't come back to me two days later going, where's this? It's like, well, I just spent the last two days working on this super urgent project. Yeah. So don't assume in those you know three areas, A, you get the level of detail. Two, you truly understand whether it's urgent or not. And three, yeah. you have the permission to move priorities around. And if your manager's not helping you, then that's a failure of management. And then we need to address that. Nice. That's a really good framework. I like that. And I feel like a lot of people fail to have that conversation because it's a slightly uncomfortable conversation yeah. to go to your manager and be like, I can't do all this work in time. Yeah. And you don't want to be the one that says no. I mean, it's funny as marketers, yeah. you know, we, and we are, as we are always trying to be empaths, we're always, you know, trying to empathize with our end 
uh, customers and then their customers. Yeah, We're nice people. We want to please. We want to say yes. Well, sometimes we say yes too often. And then we've, you know, it's like bellying up to the buffet and you just piled everything onto the plate and you're like, oh my God, there's no way I can eat that. Right. Yeah. So we don't want that to happen. And so, yeah, we, we do need to make sure that the team feels empowered to just ask the question. There's nothing wrong with clarifying. It's not saying no. And what you might do is as opposed to just saying, I can't because I'm doing this. Let me rephrase that. How about, yes, I can do it. Are you okay if I push this out a week? That's yeah. still saying yes. You're, it's just a qualified yes. And you're giving them context. Totally. They may not know what is the other urgent project that some other executive has asked. Chances right. are they have no idea because they're coming in from a silo. Zero. Cool. Right. I'm going to start using that. Well, that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Scott, stay on the line one second. We'll wrap Absolutely. up. But uh, let everybody know if they want to learn more about you or Calix, uh, where would you direct them? Calix.com. C-A-L-I-X.com. Love it. All right, cool. Well, that's a wrap, Scott. Thank you so much for uh, joining and stay on the line just one second. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 